And if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you guys seven things uh, to write down. And it's kind of cool because they all build upon each other. And so afterwards, if you know all seven and you can um, tell me all seven, I'll give you a $5 gift certificate to in and out in heaven. So I just want you guys to know that. You know? Um, but I would be, I would be blessed. Um, Nehemiah chapter 2, it says in verse 1, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. You know, Nehemiah was a cupbearer uh, to the king, according to chapter 1 and in verse 11. And so a cupbearer, what, what's that? We don't really have that nowadays. Uh, not too often do we even think of a cupbearer, but that was an, actually an officer of high rank in the ancient days, whose duty it was was to serve the wine at the king's table. You know, due to the constant fear of plots and rebellion, uh, a person who was a cupbearer was necessary, and they had to be someone that was thoroughly trustworthy to hold this position. You know, he'd be the guide, basically, to guard the king against being poisoned. And so sometimes, not only would he serve the wine, but he'd be required to drink the wine before serving it as well. And so his close relations with the king and his trustworthy office often endeared him to the king and gave him a great place of influence. And so, you know, think about that. I mean, how did Nehemiah get to such a place? I mean, it would be like you, you know, in the cabinet of the president of the United States. Okay, how did that happen? Anybody here know? It was God. Right? It was God. God put him there. You know, I don't think it's because he had the best, you know, drinking, you know, etiquette or, you know, he knew the most about wine per se. Somehow along the line, yeah, he probably proved himself as a, as a faithful man and, and trustworthy. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was God who put him there. And I want to tell you guys something. God can put you anywhere. Do you know that? I mean, God can do it. Uh, we're going to see Nehemiah was a man who was sold out and surrendered. And, and so the Lord raised him up, just like he did Esther. I mean, remember, we're going to get into the story, but you guys probably are familiar with it. Here's a gal. She was gorgeous, you know, and someone might look at her, and, and she's just, you know, so beautiful. And all you're thinking is the exterior. That's all you're thinking. And little do you know that God gave her that, that beauty, and it was more than just, an external beauty. There was an internal beauty. There was something about her that the, the Lord gave that He would use to put her, think about this, to be the queen of Persia. You know? The Lord put her there. The Lord put Joseph there. The Lord put Moses there and trained him in all the, the, the things he needed to know about leading and writing and all that kind of stuff. You know, God can put you anywhere. I think part of it, though, has to be us being willing to believe that. You know, I just, I, I get excited about it, you know, when I think about what a difference you can make. What a difference one person can make when they're completely committed to Jesus Christ. 
You know, Nehemiah was a guy like that. And I know this is a silly illustration, you know, but have you guys ever been in a fender bender? Anyone here ever been in a fender bender? And, well, I shouldn't even call it a fender bender because what I'm trying to say is sometimes you get in those accidents where there's not even like a dent. There's not even like a ding. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, we got to be careful, man. You know, but it's like, you know, you get out and the person's all, oh, well, let me call insurance, right? And you're like, well, there's nothing happened. I mean, there's nothing there. There's, there's not a dent, you know? And my wife did that one time. I remember she bumped into somebody in the McDonald's uh, drive-thru because she was super excited about the food she was going to eat. And she wasn't paying attention. Anyways, that can happen. And so, you know, the, the girl's like, oh, you know, a big old thing. And my wife's like, man, nothing happened. So the reason I bring that up is because I think a lot of times Christians are, are just like that. They live their life in such a way, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, their heart is divided, and they don't make a dent in the kingdom of God. Nothing, nothing happens because, you know, they're not, we're not, we're not surrendered. You know, and the Lord is just really having me check my own heart. Manny, what about you? I've given you such a, a neat opportunity. Will you make an impact in the kingdom of God? And I, and like I shared with you last week, I mean, Nehemiah is going to be used, think about it, to build a wall. And he's a cupbearer. He's a guy in the government position. He doesn't know anything about masonry. But the most important ingredient about, you know, the work of God is God, not you. So we just have to be people who are, are true and sincere and genuine and real and not hypocrites. Not, not people who are one way at church, in the church service, and they're a totally different person at home. Or one person, you know, on, on you know, the, the outside, but on the inside, you know, kind of filled with dead men's bones. Not that we're perfect, but we got to be real. I believe that if we are, we can be used by God to, to change the world and to help people. And I don't know if that excites you. I hope it does. Because um, I think of people a lot. I think about, you know, the, the situations that are going on in, in Mexico and Cambodia and in Omani. And I think about the people that are working the streets there on Garvey or they're, you know, in the motels over there and or the homeless situations, or you think about, you know, these guys that are doing all these shootings, or the people that are, that are dying as a result of these shootings. I mean, do we really care about them? And you're like, well, I can't, I can't help anybody. Well, yeah, you can. That's the whole point, you know. It, it has to come to a place where you're like, okay, Lord, I don't know how you want to use my life. You may not know all the details, and that's okay. All you got to do is know Him. And all you got to do is say, Here am I, Lord. Um, I'll be willing to be an Esther, or a Nehemiah, or an Ezra, or a Haggai, or a Zechariah, or a Joshua, or a Zerubbabel, or a Peter. You know, I always put my foot in my mouth, Lord. I think I can do that, you know? And, and God says, Okay, all right, that's all I'm asking for. Right here, right now, in the sanctuary of the city of Almani, would you be willing to say, here am I, Lord, do whatever you want to do with my life? If, if you would, then I'll tell you what, God's going to take you up on that. And I pray that we would, because then He can, man, He can do anything with your life. He can make you, you know, in the cabinet, 
position of the president of the United States, he can make you the president. I mean, if Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton can do it, I think, you know, you can as well, okay? God had promoted him. We know Psalm 75, 6 and 7. It talks about how promotion comes from God. You know, last week when we went over the study, we saw in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1, a broken Jerusalem, the city Uh, The walls were torn down. The gates were burned. It was just wasted. It was completely thrashed. And this is Jerusalem. This is God's holy city. And so when Nehemiah found out, the second point was a burden for Jerusalem, that he started to, to just get a burden for them, right? And he began to pray and to fast and to weep for four straight months. So some people are like, well, you know, I don't understand why God's not doing anything great in my life. I have gone to church like two Sundays in a row, you know, and that's cool, man. I hope that you come on and you go on a consistent basis. But how about seriously seeking the Lord? You know, and I'm not, I don't want to necessarily give you a time frame, but, you know, how about Nehemiah praying and weeping and fasting for four months? If you want to see God move, then seek Him, and He will. And so there was this burden. He cared for them. And I, and I was challenging you guys last week, like, who do you care for? What is your burden for? And, of course, I think for a lot of us here, it begins with our family. But then there's this other people that God says, okay, I want to use you in the, in the life of the whatever, the youth or the fifth graders or the women or the men or the married or... Of course, we love every person, but, you know, God will specify our calling in life. And then as you gather that burden, then, you know, God gives you that direction. You know, here we see after a broken Jerusalem and a burden for Jerusalem, we see now in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, how Nehemiah is bound for Jerusalem. Okay, and seven things I think that we can learn from tonight's study And like I was sharing, you know, and I hope we don't lose sight of this, um, God wants to build walls. He still does. I mean, not physical walls, but spiritual walls. Maybe it's going to be the walls of this city or this nation. God can use us to build walls to protect and to bring Him glory. But maybe there'll be walls in your family. You have no protection, no walls. God wants to build them. Or maybe in your own heart, in your own life, you're just a sitting duck. The devil does whatever he wants to do with you. You have absolutely, you're, you're absolutely spiritually powerless, wimp. That's what we would describe a person who has no spiritual strength. There's no walls. And so God would want to build walls in your life, walls of protection. And I think that he can even use the book of Nehemiah as you study it to do just that. Not only that, he can use you to help others, because this is going to impact a lot of people, build walls. And tonight especially, I think we see seven things that, that I think can help us get to that place. So number one is, is the word sad, okay? You kind of got to be sad. I mean, you have to be a person, a saint, who has some sorrow for all the heartache that's going on, right? 
And that's what we see in chapter 1. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, and that's not a car for those that... That was... An, uh, uh, oh, that's right, dots and Nisan. Okay, it's not a car. It's a month. This is the spring, right? So it's four months in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. He says that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad, there's that word, in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. You know, Nehemiah has been praying and fasting for four months. So basically what he's been doing every day as he goes to the king is he's put on a smiling face, right? He's been faking it for four months, right? I mentioned that last week. And I don't know about you. Do you ever fake it? Do you ever like, you're like bummed and, and broken and sad, but you know, you go in and you're all happy. Okay. Um, that's sometimes okay. Maybe sometimes not. You know, I, we got to be real careful with this. Sometimes people put on a happy face, even though they're dying inside because they want to hide what's really going on. And here's the thing. They have no intention of ever being transparent. They, they ne- they'll never, ever open up. As a matter of fact, their entire life, for some people, they live and die like this. Their entire life is an exhausting cover-up. Because when you have to cover up for everything, let me tell you something, it is so tiring. They'd rather pretend to have it all together than actually have it all together because they've been convinced by the enemy to live life as an actor, even as a hypocrite. There are some people like that. They're, they're sad, they're defeated, but they put on a face like they're happy and victorious when they're not. Okay, And so there are some people like that. I, I want to encourage you guys, don't do that. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, there's a maxim out there. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but if your heart is aching and breaking, it's not time to be faking. Okay, I know that sounds kind of corny, but... It's out there because sadness is a very appropriate and helpful emotion at times. I don't know if you know that or not. Sometimes Christians kind of buy into the lie to say, well, you can never be sad, right? But, but even Jesus was sorrowful and wept. And, you know, we see that in Scripture. Here's Nehemiah. He's a godly man. As a matter of fact, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 3, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. And you're like, what? I, th- I, love, I love to laugh. And we should, you know, laugh and tell jokes and have fun. But, you know, when you look around at the world that we're living in, there's probably a lot more to be sorry about or sad about than there is to laugh about. And sometimes even in our own life, right? Sometimes even in our own life, there, there's that sorrow. And, and, and what ends up happening, if we open our eyes and our hearts, we should be sad because we travel the road of sadness. We've got to travel that road in order to rid the world of the reasons for sadness. See, it's got to break your heart first. As a matter of fact, one person said... If you protect yourself from genuine sadness, then you prevent yourself from genuine joy. You know, you're like, well, I can't, you know, take it in. That's kind of what I do a lot of times, to be honest with you. Like, I'll see a situation, and my mentality is like, I can't really 
focus on it. I can't think about it. I don't want to dwell on it because then it's just going to bring me down. And, and every once in a while, God says, well, I want to bring you down because I want you to do something about it. A lot of times, guys, you have the tendency just to, you know, ignore it. You know, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. So, you know, if you're going to be a Nehemiah, you're going to have to, sooner or later, be sad and brokenhearted about the, the, the evil, about the suffering, about the condition, the calamity of the people in this world. And so, sadness sometimes manifests itself and it ends up being good. But, of course, you know, there's always a balance, isn't there? It's not wise to simply open up to everyone, everywhere, every time, right? I mean, I remember this one pastor. He was a pastor at uh, Golden Springs and really cool guy, you know. Um, and, and, but, you know, this is a long time ago, so don't try to figure out who it is, okay? Because he's not there anymore, right? I know how you guys are. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, he wouldn't smile. He'd go to, he's a pastor, and he wouldn't smile, you know. You have a frown. Some people just have a natural frown, and they just got to do something about it. But, you know, Pastor Raul told him, hey, I want you to smile. You know, if you're going to be sitting there in our hallway and greeting people, I want you to smile. And so, you know, there is that element where you go in and, and you know, you got you to gotta be happy, man. You got to smile. You know, here's, I, I think, um, what we got to do is first, the situations that we're in is take it to the Lord, Right? Have you done that? And we've heard this a million times. Before you go to the phone, go to the throne. Take it to the Lord, right? And He'll show you how to bear the burdens. And like Nehemiah, for four months, God said, smile for four months. And then finally, after four months, God said, okay, now you can be sad. Right? So you take it to the Lord. He'll show you how to bear the burden and fight the battles. And I just think he's such a great example in that he took it to the Lord. He prayed, he fasted, he wept. And then the day came when he knew it was time to just, you know, let it all out, to be real. Look again there at chapter 1, verse 11, when he's praying, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. So Nehemiah knew as he was going through the four-month thing that this was the day that he wasn't going to fake it anymore. That this was the day that he was going to show the king that his heart was broken inside. Right? And so um, the days, the weeks, the months are now over. Number two, after Nehemiah sad, is Nehemiah afraid. Nehemiah afraid, because look what we read again in verse 2, the king said to me, because he saw him all sad, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So Nehemiah, he said, I became dreadfully afraid. And so here's a guy, and he's, he's, not a, he's, a, he's a leader. I mean, not one of these lazy guys over here that, that there, there's going to be a poof, nothing, nothingness to them. No substance whatsoever. They're not going to impact the, the kingdom of God. There's, there's no Nehemiah, man. This is a guy with weight. This is a guy with substance. This is a, a godly man. And yet, he was dreadfully 
afraid. You know, and what we're seeing, you guys, is this is these are steps. These are seven things you, I think that are so important for us. In the Hebrew language, it's three words. It literally says, I was exceedingly greatly afraid. See, because what he did now in showing himself sad, he was he was taking a he was taking a step of faith. And I remember when I went to Hawaii and uh, uh, we were hiking and we were getting bitten by bugs and all that kind of fun stuff. And, uh, you know, no, no, this is a silly illustration because for some of you guys here, you're like, what's, what's the problem? But, you know, they want us to jump off a cliff and, you know, into the water. Do you guys ever do that? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I can do it, you know, I'm a, I'm a man and, you know, and all that kind of stuff and... You know, I don't know why. I looked over the edge and I said, I don't know. <laughs> you know? And you started getting like a, a little fear inside of you. I don't know why. Some of you guys probably wouldn't even think twice. But anyways, I said, well, I got to do it now because I kind of told him I was going to do it. I'm not going to back down, you know. And so there's a little, there's a little fear inside and, and, and that's okay. That's okay. You know, Nehemiah had this, this fear. He was afraid for a couple of reasons, better reasons. First of all, uh, to be sad in the king's presence might stir up the king's insecurities. In many of these rulers' eyes, sad meant bad, right? They would never have any of it. Nehemiah could have been put to death simply for being sad. You know, who knows what the king's reaction would be? Maybe something like, Nehemiah's not smiling, Nehemiah isn't looking me in the eyes. Something's bothering him, something's up. Nehemiah is up to something. And right there on the spot... The king could have reacted in such a way that it would have been doomsday for Nehemiah, right? And so, that's one thing. Secondly, he may have been afraid because he was about to ask the king about his hometown, about what was heavy on his heart. And if it wasn't something that the king you know, could care less about, then that was in putting his life in jeopardy, right? I mean, that might even be a sign of disloyalty. Hey, wait a minute, time out. Nehemiah, you're supposed to be here. I mean, we're here, we're in Persia. What are you doing caring about there? And those two things were dangerous, possibly punishable by death. And so, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I love the honesty of the scriptures. They didn't have to put that there. You know, I think Nehemiah wrote this book. Some say it was Ezra, but... You know, I, I, would you write that? I was shaking in my boots. Would you, would you write that? Probably not, man. But it encourages me to know that fear sometimes is present and it's not always bad. As a matter of fact, when you do great things for God, you will eventually face your fears. You have to. You know, I love the honesty of it. Nehemiah is dreadfully afraid. <laughs> But I love the example he is to us, you know, and that is that he didn't allow fear to paralyze him. You know, rather he faced his fear. And so number three was that Nehemiah is courageous. Nehemiah sad, Nehemiah afraid, Nehemiah courageous. In verse three, he said to the king, may the king live forever. Why shouldn't my face not, why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and the gates are burned with fire. Boom. And the cat is out of the bag. Now, I don't know where that, you know, 
phrase came from, but you guys know what it means, right? I mean, this person, they've been holding it in for that long. They've been holding it in. And finally, he just, he just lets it out. And he just really lays his life on the line. Remember who he's talking to? He's talking to the king who with just uh, probably a raising of an eyebrow. You know, some people can do that. They can just raise one eyebrow. I can't. I can only do two at a time. But, I mean, he could have just raised an eyebrow and homeboy would have been dead, right? I mean, just like that, with a simple glance, he could have instantly been executed. But, you know, Nehemiah, knowing this, he, he faces his fear and he fights it and he goes forward. You know, he's not careless in his conversation. He's wise with his words and tactful. He says, first of all, long live the king, you know. <laughs> you know, but he, he's also pretty bold. He basically says, why shouldn't I be sad? Now, if you ask your kids a question, and you know, like, hey, why are you doing that? And they would say, why shouldn't I? How many of you here would slap them? You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Boom, you know? And so he was this, like, you know, he was tactful, but also he was just like, he was, it was just so heavy on his heart that he's bold and he can't hold it in. It just, he just, you know, bursts it out. And he brings up the burden on his heart, his people, his place, his family, his father's wasted and the walls burnt by fire. And even though he was dreadfully afraid, it didn't stop him though. Here's the thing, courage kicked in and carried him on to completion. Can that happen if, if you're afraid? I mean, I thought if you were afraid, then it was over. And the truth is, it's not, right? Mark Twain said, Courage is resistance to fear, even mastery of fear, but not the absence of fear. What is it that you're afraid of? You know, and until you answer that question in your life, you will never make progress. All of us here, in one sense or another, we have to... We have to we have to clear the hurdle of fear. And you're like, well, I don't have any fear. Well, you better check again. Everybody does. Otherwise, we would continue to pioneer and advance for the kingdom of the Almighty. You know, really search our hearts. God help us to, to know what the fears are and then to go and through courage conquer them. Have you ever heard that saying, fear knocked at the door? Faith answered, and when faith answered, fear was gone. Why? Because the courage, it comes from Christ. And you face those fears by faith, and you watch what God will do, but you got to answer the door. You know, Nehemiah sad, Nehemiah afraid, Nehemiah courageous, and Nehemiah praying. Nehemiah prayed in verse 4, Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed, to the God of heaven. I pray to the God of heaven. You know, he finally blurts it out. My land, the people, they're in, in just turmoil. And, and prayerfully, there's somebody in your life. Maybe it's just one person who's in turmoil. And God's calling you to them. Or maybe it's a, a family that God lays heavy on your heart. Or you know, I get, I get so blessed that we got the jet team hitting the streets of Almani, and maybe you have a burden for Almani. I praise God for that. But, 
you know, prayerfully there's somebody that God is just laying on your heart to minister to them, right? And so, you know, you're, you're, you're facing your fears, but then you lay it all out, Lord, and you just be praying for four months and fasting and seeking God. We're going to see later that God put it in His heart exactly what to do. God will do the same for you. You're like, okay, that person right there, I want to reach them. Well, you're like, well, what do I do? I'll tell you what to do. Pray. And God will tell you exactly what to do by putting it in your heart. Somehow, some way, He will give you what I call the divine details on how to reach them. And so he prayed and then it came out. And then the king, it's so cool, he says, what do you request? I love that. And so Nehemiah, first thing he does is he prays. Now do you guys think in that moment that Nehemiah got down on his knees and he started praying, our Father who is in heaven, do you think that he did that? He probably didn't, right? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think right there in the middle of the whole thing that he went down and spent some time on his Knees, I think most of us here would agree that it was a brief cry, an instant cry of his heart. You know, no doubt about it that Nehemiah, right there and then, in just a split second, he said he prayed in silence before men, but in boldness before God. Right there and then. You guys ever do that? He should. Like, let's just say your, you know, your your wife says something that you know about you that you're like, I don't know about that one. And then, you know, before you say anything, Lord, let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. <laughs> you know, and you just quick up, it's a quick prayer like that, or maybe your kids, or maybe the person on the freeway, or maybe that one that just, you ever go like to Walmart or something, and people just get in front of you, and you're like, well, that's why I don't like shopping at Walmart. Well, too bad, so sad, you got to go there anyways, you know, because they have the best prices, and different things are going on. So, you know, you pray real quick. Real quick. And God hears those prayers. Do you do that? God help me. You know, the king asks, what do you request? But Nehemiah knows it's not in the king's hands, it's in God's hands. I'm going to be asking God this. And so he prayed to the God of heaven. Now the thing about it, you know, it's so cool, we know it's not just that time of prayer that that he offered up. He was a man who spent four months weeping, fasting, and praying before God. But, I'll tell you what, these quick prayers like that, they reveal something important that, you know, um, prayer in an instinctive way, when it comes out like that, it actually shows Jesus in our hearts. You know, let's just say, I don't know if you guys have ever, how many of you here have been in like a major accident as a Christian, just out of curiosity, and you were like there when it happened, you know? Um, I remember one time I got an accident on the freeway, and uh, it was, I think it was because I was changing my radio. I think that that was why. That was the main reason. And so, you know, you look down. Uh, for, oh, I was text messaging. One of the two. I'm not sure. I'm just joking. I wasn't text messaging. But, um, you know, I remember, man, I, I looked down, and then I looked up, and I was just about to hit a car, and, you know, on the freeway. And so, just right there and then, boom, I said, Jesus, help me. Just like it just came out, right? You know, and, and I, afterwards, you know, thank God, you know, I was cool and we were okay, messed up my truck. But, you know, it was kind of cool to know that in that split second, spur of the moment, that he would be the one that I would call on. Same thing with my wife. I remember one time we went on a roller coaster in California Adventure 
And I remember she thought she was going to die, and she was like, Jesus, 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 help me, the whole time, you know. And so we got off the ride, and the guy behind us was like, man, you're a Christian, huh? <laughs> but you know, it's like, you know, those times where you, where you cry, and this this instinctive prayer, and it's kind of cool. You know what, you know, I'll tell you what, I don't want to sound weird or anything, but sometimes when people are in those situations, another word would come out, and you know what I'm talking about. Oh, that tells you what's in their heart. You know what I'm saying? So Nehemiah was there, split second, God help me. And he meant it. He just prayed. And I love the way the Bible includes that. You know, because for us, um, it's so important to have that type of prayer life. You know, when I was going through this section right here, I was tempted to skip this, but the Lord reminded me how important this is, that prayer is simply It's not just simply something we say in the morning or evening. Like, I prayed in the morning, I prayed in the evening, and that's it. It's actually something we are engaged in all day long. It really is. Praying is like breathing to the true Christian. And so here's Nehemiah, and he he prayed. One person put it this way, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And so Nehemiah, boom, he's sad. Nehemiah, afraid. Number three, Nehemiah, courageous. Number four, Nehemiah, prayed. And number five, Nehemiah, prepared. Because look what happens. As the king says, well, what do you want? What's your request? So he prays, and then it says in verse five, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beans for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And, And so, you know, let me tell you something, man. This was not a guy who who didn't do his homework. This is not a guy who didn't Bring it before God in prayer and say, Lord, what exactly do you want me to ask the king? What do you want me to do? This is not one of those Christian, you know, ministers who have the mentality that says, well, God will work it out. I don't have to, like, try to organize anything. I don't have to to study. I don't have to really get ready for it. There's no preparation necessary. God will work it out. You know what that is? That's sloppy agape. The faithful minister is the one who's prepared. They've done their homework and they're going into the ministry when they're ready. And so when the king asks, well, you know, what do you want? Nehemiah says, boom, boom, boom. This is exactly what I I need. And, And I think it's so cool. He knew exactly what to say if it pleases the king. He said that twice. He knew exactly when to say it. It's interesting that the queen is sitting beside the king. Because you know what that meant? That meant that this was a more intimate setting. It wasn't a big old public setting, you know. Nehemiah knew, no, this is a small setting. 
The queen's sitting next to him, and who knows, she might have a little sympathy too, you know, because I'll tell her about my father's graves, and who knows, you know, ladies are a little softer. But it was more intimate, it was smaller. He knew what to say, he knew how to say it, and he knew when to say it. I mean, here's a guy that was prepared, right? And, and we know how important that is in ministry. I mean, how many of us would have rushed into the king's presence the day after we heard of the severity of the situation? Oh, the gravity of it. You know, we got to do it now. And God says, you know what? You can't do it now because you, you, otherwise you go on your own strength. A lot of times it, it requires... I, I think basically what it is, you guys, at the end of the day, is don't do anything unless you hear God's marching orders. And when you hear his voice, it might take you four days to hear it, or four weeks, four months. But when you hear his voice, then you go out and you're an obedient Christian. See? And Nehemiah here, he, he prayed, he thought it through. Who knows, man, maybe he did research online or asked counsel. He drew up drawings. He did the math and all the things that he would need. He counted the cost and it was time to deliver he delivered. He even worded it in such a way like, King, send me. Not like I'm going to go where I want to go. You know, it, just, it was just like, it was just brilliant. It was wise. It was God. You know, Nehemiah was prepared. And when the king asked how long, he had an answer. And then, you know, Nehemiah here, he asked for, uh, you know, letters to be given to the governor so that he could pass. He's anticipating these things. He's probably learned from the situation of Ezra, a letter to Asaph and the keeper of the king's forest because he needs timber to build those gates and also his own house, which is interesting, more than likely not a new house, more than likely it was a house that was, he would inherit from his ancestors that had been dilapidated over the years and now he needed to repair. And so, man, the guy was prepared and I think all these things are uh, lessons for us to learn because I tell you what, if you do get a burden and you're really sorrowful and sad about some uh, terrible situation and then you decide to do something about it, even though you might be afraid, you face that fear and through the courage of Jesus Christ, you begin to take steps of faith. and then